Hey, science fans. One thing we don't get to talk about enough on this show is environmental concerns, ecology, resources, that sort of thing. I wish we we had more on, on this topic on the show. Fortunately, I found a new podcast that I believe you guys will enjoy called Waterline. Waterline podcast is everything related to water, how to make sustainable irrigation, can water bring peace, how do you uh, keep water clean and and safe and how much money does does our current water system cost in the US what changes can we make and how we use water i just listened to a fantastic episode called water in peace hydropolitics it was all about um, the many different conflicts over different regions of water we've drawn all of these arbitrary lines for our kind of political regions and one thing that we didn't really factor in when doing that was water sources so now there's all of these uncomfortable to say the least conflicts uh, where all of these areas overlap over water sources fantastic episode the waterline podcast is an initiative of israel new tech a part of the israeli ministry of economy and industry so check it out for everything you need to know about the economics political social behavioral technological and environmental aspects of water search for waterline podcast on itunes or in your android podcast app all right everybody we got our first test been at this for a while right okay we're ready you got some pieces to work with have a decent understanding of how science works by now and now we can start interacting with science a lot of you missed out on my tour you may have missed kind of the end message that life is a trip well how do you prove that how do you take people onto it how can life not be a trip it's a big one it's crazy i've kind of always seen the world this way so how do you get others to see it you kind of got to take them on a trip of their own so we're going to try these next three episodes these next three weeks it's going to be a little bit of a trip so just you don't want to be dosed unexpectedly so uh you know prep don't expect and also you want to set an intention so then after these three these three next episodes have already been recorded kind of in order it's a little trilogy within a trilogy so this is kind of like part two of the podcast are you confused yet Ooh, we're getting there it's coming on so after these three episodes then think about that as integration for a couple weeks and then if you notice something if you picked up on something so if you're seeing something that i'm not seeing or kind of excited about some ideas you learn something new that kind of clicked and made you see things differently from these next three episodes then what you want to do after you fully integrate which probably take a couple weeks then you want to share and then once you share with others the things that you not not necessarily my words your own ideas share those you can share how you got them if you want doesn't matter i'll let you decide you'll know and then see if over the course of a few weeks after that it starts kind of changing the way that you see the world um and if all that sounds a little crazy it's because it is just a touch 
of crazy. And I'll see you guys on the other side. Ooh, ooh, quick, quick, quick. Oh, before we do this, geez, stop right now. Will you please go and fill out the survey on the Here We Are podcast page? How are we going to have a sense of who you are before this? Um, okay, we need to get that. We need to establish that ahead of time. See what see what you guys look like before this. See what you guys look like two months from now. So fill out, out those surveys on the Here We Are podcast website. And then we'll get to take this podcast to the next level, which is what we are now attempting to do. We're attempting to layer things a little bit and have a fresh look at everything that we've discussed and more. Same podcast, different layer. Cool. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, I have returned guest cognitive scientist and professor of marketing, and more importantly for today's episode, for you, the listener, the thing you need to know about and check out more in depth, the author of the new book, The Knowledge Illusion, Why We Never Think Alone, Philip Fernbach is with me today. Thanks. Welcome back, Philip. Super excited to talk to you again, Shane. So let's give a shout out to uh, your co-author. Can you introduce him? Sure. Um, His name is Stephen Sloman. He's a professor of cognitive and linguistic sciences at Brown University in Providence. Terrific. So I had you on before. I didn't re-listen to the last episode, and I was going to. That was my plan. (laughs) And no, and it wasn't a lazy thing. And I just started thinking about, this is a concept that I knew little about you know before talking to you you know you can i often kid myself about how much i knew about the illusion of explanatory depth (laughs) um and and you know learned a little more talking to you last time and i was thinking about it and you sent me a link and i was reading some reviews and i was looking at some of the concepts and i was thinking more and more and then i was like you know what let's just go over the whole thing again now I have not necessarily a new set of eyes, but a different set of eyes. They've been aged and informed by new experiences. Uh, when was that? A year or two ago? Um, I'm not sure exactly. It doesn't matter. Yeah, but we've both aged, you know, quite some years in that time. So and aging gracefully too. By the way, I feel like each of us are just getting more handsome by the day. Can you give a? Uh, can you give like just a little brief rundown of? If you want to go through each chapter, you can. But I want to give kind of a brief overview of the concept of the book and then start kind of digging into it from there. Sure thing. No problem. So the book is, is um, it's called The Knowledge Illusion, Why We Never Think Alone. And the, the big idea of the book is um, the idea that we, as human beings, overestimate the extent to which we understand things. And, th- and that idea has, has really dramatic implications for um, so many things we care about, like how we think about politics or how we think about science or education or decision-making. The book was really formed with the goal of understanding um, why the mind works that way. Me and my co-author are cognitive scientists, so we study how the mind works, how people think and make decisions. And the first half of the book is really cognitive science, which 
it explains what the mind is for, how it works through the lens of this idea that we don't know very much. And yet we tend to think that we know a lot. One of the big ideas in the book, the subtitle of the book, Why We Never Think Alone, is the idea that as individuals, we don't know very much, but that's really sort of the natural way that it is because what we're really great at as human beings is collaboration and thinking together. So knowledge is distributed across a network of people. So human beings are really, really great at that. No other animals can do anything like that. So as individuals, we know very little, but we participate in these community of knowledge, communities of knowledge where the, the communities know quite a lot. The second half of the book gets more into the practical implications where we talk about why um, this matters for our political discourse, for our discussion of complex issues like our attitudes about global warming or vaccination or genetically modified foods, ideas about how we should um, educate ourselves, how we can make smarter decisions and all kinds of other stuff. So, um, so, so that's sort of the, the big idea. Does that, does that give a, a fairly decent kind of roundup of it? Yeah, that's, uh, that's terrific. I mean, I think that what I would like to present is the duality of the idea because there's also the other side of it, which is that depending on how you look at it, there are instances, depending on how you're observing it, we do know more than we're giving ourselves credit for. So we are definitely these pattern recognition machines. I'm going to stop right there for a second because this is the perfect point to ask you, how are you testing something like uh, people's illusion of uh, explanatory depth. Yeah. Okay, so I, I think I know where you're going yeah. with a little bit is that we know all sorts of stuff sort of implicitly mm -hmm. that we couldn't actually verbalize or articulate. Right. Like for instance, I know how to ride a bike, but you know, if you, if you look at my book, one of the first things we talk about is that nobody has any idea how a bike actually works. Right. Um, but my body has some sort of muscle, muscle memory for, for how, to, how to do that. I can't actually articulate it. Nor would you be able to write out the incredibly complicated math that, you know, your, your brain is doing to move your legs and to do and all and to figure out all of the different energy being displaced and the different hormones moving through the body that are driving the pedals. But you're still doing it quite effortlessly. Well, okay, so so there's multiple things going on. There's a lot of layers. There's a lot of layers. In, there's in a lot terms of layers. Of, well, That's what about. I want to explore. We actually, um, th this is a little bit off topic, but we talk a little bit uh, in the book about this idea of how does the how do human beings actually solve certain kinds of problems like that? One that we talk about is catching a baseball. And so like the classical approach of machine learning and artificial intelligence to how you would program that system would actually have the system um, calculate the sort of Newtonian trajectories of the baseball. Um, but it actually turns out that's not what people do at all. So they have this heuristic, which has to do with um, keeping your gaze level with the ball at all points, which takes essentially zero computation. And that's actually how it's done because... Um, because a computer actually calculating those trajectories would be too slow. You have to like be running to the, the ball at the first point. But that, that, that is off topic to, to the point that I wanted to make, which is that when, when we talk about people not knowing a lot, um, and, uh, my, my favorite, my favorite study to talk about with this is this study by a guy named Thomas Landauer, who was a psychologist in the eighties who ran this study to basically try to estimate the size of an individual's knowledge base. So let me tell you a little bit about the study and that'll give you some sense of the kind of knowledge that we're talking about. Yeah. Okay. So, um, he did this in a variety of different ways. He did the estimate in a variety of different ways. Basically what he wanted to get to was how many bites 
are in the human mind, like the same way that you would measure a computer memory. So what he did was he analyzed results of these memory experiments where basically people study um, some materials. So you, I'll give you some words or some pictures or bits of music. Okay. You'll study them. I'll test you later to see if you recognize them. So it's a recognition memory. Um, and using that, I can actually figure out how fast you can learn stuff. All right. And then I can also figure out how fast you forget stuff that you learn by testing you again later. So I get the rate at which you acquire and the rate at which you forget stuff that you study. Can I stop you for one second sure. and ask when someone is a fast learner, does that mean they're good at remembering things as well necessarily or do they forget just as fast okay or, so or is that hard to predict so ordinary people are all within like a pretty small range okay yeah. you get same order of magnitude for anybody you study there are these very unusual cases that we talk about in the book called hyperthymesics who kind of remember everything that ever happens to them yeah yeah um, this is people like a, are so crazy yeah it's pretty crazy about the weather from 40 years ago on a certain day or yeah whatever. exactly so yeah. i mean one point that we make in the book is that it actually turns out that having that amount of memory is actually kind of um, non-adaptive. It's dysfunctional in a lot of ways. What the human mind is really made for is actually forgetting details. We extract the really deep principles so that we can actually generalize into the future. Um, so those people have a quirk in their, in their brain that stores a lot more and it shows actually storage is really easy. So it's actually in a sense kind of surprising how little we actually we actually store. Anyway, um, so Landauer, he got this rate at which you can learn stuff, the rate at which you forget stuff, and then basically just extrapolated over a human lifespan, 70 years, assuming you're learning at a constant rate, like you're learning all the time. Now, of course, it's not going to be the exact amount, but it gives you sort of an order of magnitude. So the number that he got, give me a guess. What do you think he got to? What's the number? Uh, I don't even want to guess. I don't even want to pretend to know. Okay. So how much is like on a thumb drive? You recently buy a thumb drive on Amazon.com? Oh, oh, that's like a, what's that, like a half a terabyte or something? Like yeah, that? like, okay, so a small one would be 64 gigabytes, and, a terabyte being a thousand gigabytes. And, okay? uh, and I'm trying to estimate the calculating power of, of what, what again, remind me one more time. I'm like, I'm getting yeah. lost in deep thoughts. Good. Yeah. That's the point. I hope that happens when you read the book, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 that's it. Well, that's, the, that's the, like what's. I mean, a major goal of the book is to get people to think differently about the mind and what it's for and how it works. So I read a page yep. and then I get lost and, and sometimes like I'm, I'm reading page and yep. nothing's going in because yep. I'm going right by it because I'm stuck on, on three pages ago, like thinking this and my brain, my eyes are just kind of going through the motions. Yeah. And so you probably wouldn't really retain that stuff in the sense that like right. if Landauer tested you later, you would have no recognition memory for it. Now, recognition memory is very sensitive. So you don't actually have to recall what you saw. Just can you recognize it? So it's actually a pretty sensitive uh, measure. And so, so the punchline, the number, are you ready? Uh-huh. One gigabyte. That is tiny. Yeah. That's... <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, it's crazy. But when you think about it, it makes sense. Okay. So if I try, what can fit on that thumb drive? A couple hundred thousand verbatim copies of that book, The Knowledge Illusion. Verbatim. Okay. Now we just do not store stuff in that way. And we do not store a lot of detail. So like um, one point that I like to make is that take almost anything you believe and try to justify it. Okay. So like, why do you believe the earth revolves around the sun? 
yeah, we're very good at this. Like our consciousness will just fill in these, these, we just don't know. We don't know almost anything about anything. I mean, it's pretty shocking when, when you actually sit down and say, how much do I actually know? It's, it's really, it comes as a major surprise to us or when we, when we actually sit down and try to articulate what we actually know about stuff. But confidence is this, this kind of, I want, let's not say necessary one aspect of something that keeps us driving forward uh-huh. through life and so this and confidence is often very blinding absolutely and so to kind of keep moving forward you kind of need to fake it like oh yeah i was listening to your question right there when really i was lost on another i was thinking about another so so you have an idea right have you not been listening and to then, me for the last 15 no minutes? no no just that one <laughs> on that one you got me on the on the uh like i'm a really forgetful person i yeah. have port but i'm like i'm good at process the bits that i grab i'm pretty good at processing yeah. and creating so you 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 and steven sit there with your supercomputers in your head and then you're also using these aids these different like computer aids or whatever these piddly computers which if we're only doing one gig then maybe these external computers are in some way more powerful and you're creating this bit of information you're trying to say something and then you're trying to transfer that information into a observer's um, brain and you're understanding that we're these storytelling animals that respond well to these narratives rather than just like this this bland raw data stuff that kind of we get lost in or just glance right by because i think we just see patterns better so stories are like these Mm -hmm. patterns they're metaphors and then i read what you have written which is you trying to capture something this idea that then goes into my brain through all of these biases both through evolutionary history and through my upbringing and as much environmental and genetic and then what makes it through and connects with me on some level like also almost creates a new idea that isn't exactly what you had in mind. But even if I think that it is, even if I'm like, oh, I get what you're saying, mm-hmm. I'm still, it's still a different idea that I have. And and then that's, and that's when you re- really retain something is when you're able to like explain it yourself yeah, and teach it. But what you're mind. explaining isn't, still isn't, passing on it's like getting muddled and not not muddled it's it's just changing mm-hmm. the idea is evolving mm-hmm. and the idea is like living somewhere kind of outside of us and we're like kind of interpreting it in a way like these information systems that you're talking about um i'm losing myself a little bit right <laughs> now <laughs> um but uh yeah yeah so. i mean what what we're good at as human beings is extracting the gist yeah. Right. Taking all of this stuff, all of this, you know, innumerable amounts of information that come in through our senses and sifting through it and figuring out what's actually useful for us in guiding our actions in the future. Which now, is subjective and contextual. Yeah. What is important for me as a podcaster is maybe 
different than if an accountant is reading your book? Absolutely. In terms of the stuff that's going to be retained, that's definitely the case. So this is like relativity. There is. Yeah, there is a lot of, I mean, you know, one of uh, a major um, outcome I think of reading the book is, uh, is, is a realization of how little of it all as individuals we actually have in our own heads. Mm -hmm. And yet when we, we feel, we sort of like feel like masters of of everything because that's our experience. You know, we feel like we have sort of the full view that we have the full field of view, but actually our field of view is very narrow. It's the illusion of the ego though. But what, but what if, what if you're looking at it from the other way and you're saying, what if it's the reality of the, um, um, of the, uh, perplexing heights you know rather than the illusion of the explanatory depths you know there there are there are different ways of looking at the flow of information okay depending on where you're observing it from you know like uh so so like one of your things okay is, get, get a little more concrete with me so i can uh, sure how to respond to what you're sure, saying sure sure so <laughs> i'm going big here uh so big is good uh, yeah, one of your questions that you ask people is, "How does a toilet work?" Uh-huh. <laughs> and no one knows how a toilet. That's works. right. There's hardly anyone on earth that knows how a toilet right. works. That's like right. A tiny percent. Yeah, we're all using toilets yeah. just fine and getting along. We understand that we need toilets, how to get them. We know how to use the handle, That's this right. tool. That's right. And so, explain to me how a toilet works. <laughs> Boom! I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I, give me a brief over. Oh, this is a great. Actually, this is a great example. I can't give you a competent explanation. But it's, it's right said, there in the first it's chapter in the book. It's right there. It's right there. I've read it a hundred thousand times. Really? Yeah. Okay. There's so, a siphoning so I'm, effect. I'm, I'm looking at yeah. this. The, the mm-hmm. picture aid helps because we're these visual creatures. Yes. So you have you have this tank with water, mm-hmm. and then you have the bowl, and then you have the trapway, the little U shape, yep. and then the water level and the trapway and the water level and the bowl are at the same height. When the tank empties quickly into the bowl, that creates a uh, discrepancy. No, no, discrepancy, not, yeah. Is it discrepancy? Well, within the so it's right. a higher level, which then forces the the force of that higher level in the bowl will then force the water through that trapway what to, is the momentum of it that, that like pulls it then through this can't be what you want to talk about you said we we're going to the highest of the high heights and, no no I'm, I'm i'm i am i am i am just wait for it you asked for something concrete <laughs> so i'm giving it to you so so what i'm saying is yeah now track the flow Ooh. <laughs> no the, pun intended or yeah track the flow okay. of information so so now you're you're looking at a toilet from mm-hmm. an observer point of view in this mm-hmm. picture. Yep. But what is a toilet? Mm-hmm. What is a toilet doing? Mm-hmm. It's this funnel, mm-hmm. and the, so the toilet's an idea on many levels. A toilet is the physical yep. thing, the tool mm-hmm. for creating this function. Yes, and then this function is also kind of a property of a toilet. Okay. Which, which is which is the swivel that goes down, and, and so it's like this. Ah, I, th- I think where you might be going is is this idea that um, 
the way the world is structured is in these kind of hierarchical causal systems yeah. where there's different levels of analysis at which you can think about a toilet, right. right? You can think about what it's actually made out of. You can think about the abstract function it performs. You could think even more generally about how it has similarities to other three-dimensional objects or something like that. And that is one of the major challenges of representing knowledge is that there is knowledge at all these different levels. And, and as human beings, we tend to um, have the knowledge at, at the level of analysis at which it's useful to us. Um, and so it's, we don't need to know really the, why, how a toilet works because we never interact with it in that way. And yet, because we, I mean, the, one of the major arguments in the book is the idea that because we participate in these communities of knowledge where the information is out there and easily readily accessible to us, if we want it, that kind of makes us feel like we understand better than we do. And so it's by, by virtue of participating in these, in these communities where knowledge is actually distributed to really like to have a toilet, to, to make it work, to, um, to actually produce it, sell it, all that kind of thing. It's an amazing, huge endeavor of society. Yeah. It's no one person who could build a toilet or even understand the physics by which it works and so on. Yeah. It takes a huge, huge collaborative group effort. And, and by virtue of participating in that, it gives us a little bit of a sense that we get things better than we do. Yeah, yeah. So even as I'm like ambitiously trying to say bigger and bigger ideas, I'm getting stuck. And, and, and like my ideas themselves are like falling apart. And you're <laughs> able to notice, <laughs> notice that as an observer. There's just so many different ways of looking at it, though. So like, Imagine information in the swivel that's leaving the toilet that's being sucked out of the I can't tell if, I, if I'm being catfished right now. And you're doing, you're doing no, a one-hour extended I metaphor am. of information to a toilet? I am. I think, I think. Are you saying that everything I'm saying is shit? I can't really tell. Well, from a toilet's <laughs> point of view, it would look like you're full of shit. But what if, you, what if the flow of information... What, so what if, what if instead you're taking a picture of, of the flow mm -hmm. and... and you, you're saying so this is the ability for us to recognize patterns so you take like 10 different pictures at equal parts at you flush the toilet and you're sitting above it and you're watching this spiral and you take 10 different pictures and you have these 10 different pictures you scramble them all up you give them to someone that's never seen a toilet before you give it to an alien mm -hmm. it's outside of this they would be able to probably put together the the They'd put them in the right order? They'd put them in the right order, but they would never be able to tell which direction it was going without some sort of a time stamp. Okay. And so what if you then reverse <laughs> the toilet and, and it was coming, it was spiraling up toward, like rather than the information leaving us, it's spiraling towards us in a way that we're able to pick up on little bits of it. And now look from a toilet's point of view. It's looking like you're full of shit. But if you look at it in reverse, it's t you're taking all of this shit, and then there's these digestible bits of information shooting out your mouth if you're looking at the whole process in reverse. And so all, all that I'm saying is that this, this is... This, this is uh, all of this is relative and all of this is dependent. And now if you looked at... So then consider it from the observer's point of view. I wonder how many toilet metaphors 
we can make. I'm sorry for doing this, and we can move on. I'm just, I'm just trying to I'm just trying to get around the idea of of all of. So here's what I'm trying to say. Here's let's get off toilets, shall okay. we? Okay. Another point you make. I saw in a review, someone is saying. You know, they have a problem with like, or we should go to war with Iraq or something okay. or some country, mm-hmm. right? But they can't find it on a map. Mm-hmm. So that's information that they have. Therefore, they don't have, they they are making, so the idea Okay, so is, the point of that example is that it's often the case that the, the mo- more knowledgeable you are, the less extreme you are in your opinions about certain kinds of things. And the reason for that is because we tend to take in the world in this kind of simplistic way. And when you know more about a topic, you tend to realize that it's more complex. And so you tend to be more moderate in general by your attitudes in some cases. So the example you're talking about is is, um, some study, I don't remember who who did it, showing that people who were... um, who are furthest off in terms of identifying a particular country were the ones who are most in favor of going to war with the country. And, and, uh, and so that, that, that's the idea there. Right. The, so yeah. So as you, like I go around and interview these different people in these different fields, and then you realize that how nuanced and how many different ways, that's right. And then you get like lost in the awe of it. Right. And it's it can be really overwhelming. It's it's not just overwhelming. What I think it is is that it's an awareness of with complexity becomes uncertainty. And so the yes. things that we're so sure of, yes. actually, when we find out that there's all these moving parts and a lot of uh, a lot a lot more to them than we had initially realized, it's not necessarily that we're going to flip our position and say, okay, no, I actually really love this country now. But we actually learn enough to make us a little bit more moderate in our positions. But it's organized chaos in a way. Okay. What do you mean by that? Like, it's not about the variables. It's about the formula. It's about the pattern. So what those people are actually doing is you're asking them, is X a threat? Mm-hmm. X being equal to an in-group or an out-group, an out-group. And okay, but this isn't just... This isn't just um specific to a question about like, should we go to war? This is about kind of many, many things that we have opinions about that are complex. So take any political issue you can think of, take any science science based issue you can think of. Yeah. They're all complicated. Right. Right. Oh, of course. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and yet we so tend to another one and I can put, I can draw like the same analogy. I bet. I, I, oh, okay. I think I see where you're going. Yeah. No. So that, that this is a major component of the book as well, which is the idea that because, by virtue of participating in these communities, the positions that we take on are more a function of what our community believes than what we individually can justify based on what we believe. And that is why we've so balkanized on these kind of issues. Absolutely. Like we tend to, when we express our opinion about complex stuff, we tend to channel our community. Yeah. So, so there is this very deep sense in which our positions are not our own. They, because they're based on knowledge that's distributed in, in, across our communities, they really belong to our communities. And yet we fail to realize that a lot of the time, which is why we express strong beliefs about stuff. We express such strong beliefs because we feel like we ourselves understand. And uncertainty is a major stressor. Yes. As well. Yes. People like certainty. So and they like simplicity. It the is. less... It's, 
so in just in that one particular example, mm-hmm. the less someone knows about in their brain somehow knows that they don't know much about it. No. The less they know about that group, the That's more the problem. They don't know what they don't scared know. of it, the more it will be perceived as a threat. Because mm-hmm. we are worried about that. So, so like, now even just take that example, and, I, and that's not even, that, that's more just a part of a bigger formula. Like, now take, uh, now apply that to global warming. Yeah. Apply that to, any, you don't know anything about global warming. Right. Like, of course, it's going to sound like scarier and scarier the more. So, it's much easier to just, like, a great way to attack it is just to dismiss it or, or not. Either, no, there's two things you can do. You can escape, you can ignore it, you can like run from mm-hmm. it, or you can attack it if it's a threat, if it's if it's something that's like coming at you, you know? Right. Rather than a seeing it as an opportunity to solve a problem, which is kind of what scientists are doing is they're they're going like, "Okay, this is a puzzle. Yeah. How do we fix this puzzle?" Do you know what I'm saying? So, so typically, I like, might be talking too much right now. That's a, that's a distinct possibility <laughs> as well. Okay. So, um, so there's actually been quite a bit of work on global warming and and how to actually, um, how to actually influence people's uh, beliefs and and express positions because it's a very hard one. You're right. Like this is a good example of a case where there's a very strong scientific consensus and yet a very large percentage of people don't accept it. Because their community doesn't accept it. Right. Okay. And you're making the point that if you do accept it, okay, do you believe in global warming? I, okay. I absolutely do. I mean, I guess. I, I do I, too. I do too. I, so if I pushed you and I said. Mean, I, I mean, I yeah. guess I would like to think that I'm open to the idea of somehow it could be falsified for me, but I just. I think that's a healthy. I can't see yeah. how that could be. Good. So like, I think that's a, that's a healthy thing. So you, you were making this sort of point that if we use this tactic, which uh, oil companies and, and so on do sometimes to actually say there's some uncertainty here, then people like you might actually become more unsure about their positions, which is potentially worrying. Although for me, not necessarily because I think um, that's it, it's fine because then you're better calibrated and maybe you go and do a little more research. The thing that's more valuable is that you can take global warming deniers. Actually, there's research by this guy, Michael Ranney, showing this. And if you actually explain the mechanism by how it works to them, they actually become a little more open-minded. Now, do right, they necessarily right. flip? No, but they don't double down to the same extent that they do if you tell them, hey, all the scientists say this is true. What's wrong with you? They actually open their minds a little bit because they go, oh, crap, I thought this was simple. You know, like all people in my community have been telling me this is simple. I actually don't understand it. It's more complicated than I thought, and it actually opens their mind a little bit. But if you can reframe it and create a new layer, I have to do this all the time on stage because Mm -hmm. sometimes I have ideas, and I already know the biases that I'm up against presenting them. No, that's, again, the illusion of – I have a sense of what some of the biases right. might be. I right. hope that I have a sense. You know, this is again. This is like I measure probability on stage. These are things that have worked in the past. Mm-hmm. These are these tools, these patterns that I've recognized. Uh, that there's often these particular biases in this particular environment, and so a way around it is to, if I'm going to say, talk to someone about global warming, instead. I talk to them about 
gardening. Mm-hmm. And I go, hey, you want to see how gardening works? Here, let's take a walk through this greenhouse quick. You want to see how this greenhouse works? There's light rays coming through this glass mm-hmm. that are heating up this air, and, and they're actually coming through the glass because because the the light rays are thin enough to actually pass through what looks like a, a solid surface, and, but uh, but it's less dense than the density of the glass. But the air is more dense. Um, or, or the glass is more dense than the air is, mm-hmm. and that's why it traps it. And that person might go, "Oh, that's really interesting." And then if, but then you, uh, and, and they wouldn't have any argument for that, right? Oh, I never thought about that before. That's interesting, you know, it, and not even realize that it applies to other things. And then you go, "Now look outside." Right. Now look at the ozone layer. And see what's happening. It's the exact same thing. It's yeah, all, that's it's exactly what this guy, this guy uh, Michael Ranney, is trying to do. Is he has these short videos online which explain this um, greenhouse effect mechanism? Which, if you go and ask the general population, and he's done studies here, um, like like it's zero percent of people who can articulate anything close to the correct mechanism. Maybe one percent because you, your your explanation wasn't wasn't too far off. Um, but it's 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 almost nobody. Um, and yet we go around like having really strong opinions about this, about this stuff. Um, and so you can open people's minds a little bit by getting them to realize that, that reality is more complex than they thought. And in fact, there are scientists who study this stuff and, uh, that there's a lot of scientific endeavor involved. So if I keep on thinking about life as a metaphor, what, what if I then presume and give people more credit than I want to give them? Because I know about this illusion of explanatory mm-hmm. depth, I think I do, mm-hmm. and uh, and so I uh, see they're a bunch of dummies, and they don't they don't know. They think they know, just loud mouths. And but but if I but but let's say instead that they're picking up on something like this supercomputer in our brain is, or in our heads and our skulls is picking up on something actually it's all through our body maybe even in the environment um is picking up on something that this consciousness this like mouth tool uh, you know this ability this language part isn't is kind of messing up a little bit but if you look at the language people use maybe there are some deeper insights into the mind so someone so you're saying that these networks of humans collectively working together mm-hmm. are for, far more powerful than one single individual yes and now these religious nuts that don't want to hear the nuances of science are talking you don't understand there's a higher power there's a higher power mm-hmm. they're just convinced of it mm-hmm. they don't know why mm-hmm. they can't really explain it you ask yeah. them to articulate it and they just thought well i just know well so so i think that the, i'm not sure if this is exactly where you're going but, but I, me, it doesn't me, matter me, where i'm I go, i'm just presenting like however you think whatever's spawning anything in your head you're you can take it wherever okay um that's like uh, George R. R. Martin as a gardener, not an architect. <laughs> he just talked about gardening. Uh, right. Okay. So I think that this is a this is a really important thing, which is that our um, our sort of normal mode when someone doesn't believe the same thing that we believe is to first we're like you're an idiot. Second, 
you have bad intentions. And um, I think that that comes from a misunderstanding, a misrepresentation of, of the way the mind works, which doesn't take into account how little each of us knows and how little the, 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 the extent, the, the, the lack of extent to which we can actually justify what we believe. So we live in this illusion that we've arrived at our own positions via some serious analysis. But most of what we believe, we believe because it's what our community believes. Because we actually don't have enough in our heads to actually justify anything. Yeah. Um, and yet we, we sit here and, we, and we, it just kind of feels like we thought seriously about every issue that we have a position on. So then when somebody else believes something else, we're like, how can you possibly believe that? What's wrong with you? You must be an idiot. But my belief is that, you know, like individual level intelligence explains very little in the variation in terms of what we believe. And yes, we talk in the book about some people are more reflective than others. That's definitely an individual difference that exists in people. So some people are more reflective. They tend to be sort of more open-minded. They think more deeply about how complicated things are and how little they individually know. But for the most part, this idea of overestimating how well we understand stuff and being overconfident in our positions and all that kind of stuff, um, is it just a very human thing? I think it applies to just about everybody. And so, um, I, I, I actually, yes, you look at some people who believe like really crazy things. I, um, we had, um, the cover of the Denver post about flat earthers, uh, a couple, uh, couple weeks ago. Um, and you look at some of these things and they seem very extreme. Like how, what's wrong with you? How can you possibly believe it? But if you think about the dynamics of knowledge, some of this stuff starts to make a little more sense. It's kind of the, the case that everything we believe is not based on what we ourselves know because we know so little. And so um, getting to positions that are, that are correct is really hard. Like it's basically about trusting the right sources of expertise, S sometimes being um, critical of ideas so that you actually check. But, but as human beings, we very rarely ver try, try to verify or falsify the things that we believe. And so there's tons of stuff that you and I believe that, that are probably wrong. And I try to, which, you know, like I, I'm an open-minded person and um, I'm always trying to question and, and do it to the best of my ability. But I think that we err when we just assume that everybody else is an idiot. We do that way too easily. Yeah, we do that I agree. way too easily. And, and it's like, I do it all the time Yeah, myself. I do it to myself. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I call myself an idiot yeah. all the time. Yeah. It's, and then I call other people. I call everybody an idiot. It's, yeah, it's, I, I think we go through life, um, with the wrong model of what, how the mind works and what it's for. And that yeah. leads to, to some major problems. Like we kind of like are embarrassed if we don't understand something. We're embarrassed if we don't know something, but, uh, there's just so much to know. And the world is really complex and hard to understand. And if we all were just a little more, um, realistic about where true intelligence resides, which is in like our communities, I think we'd, uh, it, it could be kind of liberating for us. How, how often do you pretend that you know what someone's talking about when you have no clue? I mean, we all do it all the time, right? Yes. As I'm yeah. agreeing with you right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, I like arguing with people. Yeah. Um, but that, but that's the thing. That's like my taste. That's like information has these many flavors, let's say. There's yeah. like metaphors coming from us because our cortex is being influenced by the limbic system. You said people have feel, they feel this mm -hmm. way because they're getting informed. These higher functions within our heads mm -hmm. are informed by these 
what we would say lower, but that's a it's a misnomer if you ask me. And um, so, what are the ideas that? Why does our brain attach to certain ideas? What what is the reward? So there's like fear. Mm -hmm. There's like fun. You know, as a comedian, you go, you make some association someone hasn't seen, and then they laugh. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, that's fun. I never noticed that before. That's not right. all that there is to comedy, but right. that's one element. Right. Um, importance. This might like maybe this information in this book is something that can benefit my wallet, my family, my right. jeans, my job, my my social, you know, my relationships. Maybe I'll get more friends showing off how very smart I am, you know, and people will be impressed. And um, so why, so then to think about why these certain systems like these computers in our head are attaching to certain bits of information like i'm 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 obsessed with conspiracy theorists because they kind of irritate me and mm -hmm. i don't mean for like i try to like be more understanding but that was that was a good example of the flat earth like it's so fun it's like it's like being like a rebellious like child or something right, like that right. you know like there's a I don't know. I'm just so. What creates a new idea? So, so you're saying so this network. So this network is more powerful than us because there's more information within this network. Why? What? What is creating that information in that network? Is these connections right? Mm -hmm. I'm not sure where you're going with this. It's the same as in the brain. Like, yeah, you and I. <laughs> talking like if i can disagree with you in a certain kind of way that maybe gets you to see something different or if I, I can get myself to see something different then i can make a novel connection which is what mm -hmm. an idea is which is what these networks are also doing yeah i mean you're asking very deep questions about the source of like sort of collaborative creativity which i i don't really have good answers to what i can say is that <laughs> Um, <laughs> I, 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 am I putting all this? I don't no, 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 it's good. It's okay. good. So what I can say is that the kind of things that we talk about um, in the book, is, here's the idea, is that human, the, the mind really evolved for action, okay? Animals are the only creatures that are really capable of responding to the environment in very complex ways. And that's because they have brains. The brain is basically a software system that um, that can uh, program really complex behavior in response to the environment so that you can be more adaptive, okay? Now, as individuals, as human beings, we can, we're, we're good at that. But what really makes us special is the ability to pursue complex behavior at the group level. And the way that works is that each of us has sort of specialization. So we each have our own little bit. We don't have to all know everything. We can each know a little bit. And then the architecture of the, real, of the mind is really designed for working together, which actually involves a lot of complex cognition. You talked about language. Um, that's, that's one aspect of it. But what you and I are doing right now is like, I'm kind of reading your mind. 
and trying to figure out what where you're going and what you're what you know we we have common ground there's some things that you know and i know we both have to know what those pieces of common ground are so that we can actually have a reasonable conversation i have to represent that you actually are uh, a mind that has desires and beliefs and all that kind of stuff and so there's huge amounts of cognition that's going back on in the background so that we can have this kind of interaction. That's what human beings are really made for. That's what really makes us special. No other animals can do that kind of stuff. There's a bunch of research in comparative psychology trying to figure out what really separates like human kids, human children from chimpanzees. And it's these abilities to collaborate and pursue, jointly pursue goals. Once you have that capability, now the universe of possibilities just explodes because um, you can now do stuff that where it no one individual involved in the project has anything even closely even approaching the knowledge to actually complete the project and 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 you can take that up to arbitrary levels of complexity and that's why we have you know uh, particle accelerators and uh, and spaceships and whatever other amenities we have in, in modern society. They all depend on this. And so, uh, so that's, that's really the, the big idea. Yeah. The big idea. It's like a big bang. It's like a Genesis of an idea is like the novelty of this connection creates this like funnel, this explosion of yeah. information. And then, so my, I'm exploding information out of my mouth right now. I'm not saying that it's right. It's mm -hmm. just information that's coming out of my mouth. That's coming out of, out of your uh, out, out of my brain right? i gotta say that it's coming I'm, out of your brain <laughs> and it's overlapping and there's some common ground and a lot of it's being missed. I, i'm excited that we got to the point in conversation where it's coming out of your mouth and not the other end uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey, that was 20 minutes ago <laughs> get over it uh but but now and and so now we have this recorder which to the people listening their source of information is coming through this speaker and mm -hmm. they're this observer of the connection of our two computers combining mm -hmm. and they're getting to observe it and they're getting to hear what our biases are mm -hmm. May maybe picking up on them maybe not but also getting they have there's truck drivers right now that are interpreting this differently than we are mm -hmm. that are also coming up with their own ideas yeah that are and then if they share that at part then they're feeding into this system which is expanding this information that makes this I I, I, I actually am very intrigued by this sort of you're talking about these kind of moments of creativity of Genesis yeah and I am, I am very intrigued by that idea so like just to give you an example you know I'm an academic well we what I do is uh, sit around and you know try to come up with ways to test theories of the way the mind works and to generate new knowledge about, about that kind of stuff. Um, you don't do that by sitting there and thinking on your own. You do it by talking to your collaborator or your student and just talking and beating ideas around. And somehow in that process, new ideas are generated. It's generative. And sometimes it's just hearing yourself talk, but then the other person sort of bouncing off of that and stuff like that. So I think that that is an amazing thing that human pe beings do is, is how you can have two people come together who individually uh, can't generate something. You bring them together and put it together and you do have these kind of moments of creation, these kind of Genesis moments. I don't have any clue or idea how that works. And we don't really speculate that on that in the, in the book, but I do think it's something kind of magical about, about people. 
Well, I mean, this isn't, I mean, this is a lot of what the scientific method is. You're sharing, you're, you're running, you're sitting there, you're thinking, and then you're trying to create this model in your mind that you then share to test. One way of testing is to bounce off of another computer and see how it's received. I'm not saying that it's the best, but that's like this peer review is another part of the test. It's not just the, mm-hmm. the methodology and the test that you've run. Another aspect of the machine of science is the peer review process. So you're sharing your information that then is like, you know, probably being attacked and everything else or, or maybe helped if you're lucky and, and you're getting support. And then, and then you get feedback and then you revise. And I can't tell if it's getting closer to some sort of truth or if it's creating more truth. Well, I don't know the peer review process. And this is, I guess a little bit off topic, but, but I guess that's what this is all about. Um, (laughs) No, not really. This is just like one thought that I'm having right now. No, it's good. It's good. Um, With the peer review process, it's more of this kind of like serial thing, right? Which is like you give them something, they give you something back. Yeah responses and so on and i don't think that that process is quite as generative i mean uh it's, so for it's guys, also, i said peer review i meant yeah. it as a metaphor assume okay. i'm saying assume everything that's coming out of my head is a metaphor for something else that i'm not articulating correctly okay um so go back to what you were saying yeah. where you're bouncing an idea off of off of somebody else yeah. and then that's eventually combining into this seemingly magical idea yeah. but this but then it's like information that's stored outside of you somehow mm-hmm. within culture and like we're all storing little tidbits of it and then creating tools of storing this information like computers mm-hmm. or books, right. um, paintings, a number of things. So um, be- before we run out of glucose uh, here, what, what are – I always like to ask toward, um, uh, toward the end because this might take a little while. Um, what are some of the tools – that you give people to let's let's do you think of the illusion of explanatory death you you adopt you would call that a uh, a bias right i you know i don't or, think of it as narrowly as that i mean like oh, when okay. i think of like the you know the bias is kind of like a, a heuristic or heuristics and biases i think is the kind of stuff you're talking about um those tend to be narrow tricks to solve problems. I think of this illusion of explanatory depth, this illusion of understanding as being this very um, fundamental characteristic of the mind, both that we don't know very much and we tend to think we know quite a bit. And so I don't think of it as a bias, although it certainly can give rise to overconfidence, which is a kind of bias. Um, what 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 I will say is that like, the point of the book is not to say that people are stupid or that people are biased or whatever. It's more to point out that this ignorance that we have is just very natural, fundamental to the way the mind works. And it's not something we should be embarrassed about. It's not something we should run away from. And it's also part and parcel of what makes human beings amazing is this ability to collaborate and share knowledge without any one of us knowing very much. So we certainly, and you said that the duality idea earlier, um, I do think there's a duality here, which is that on the one hand, this is really, it's part and parcel of who we are as human beings. It can have 
um, aspects that are positive for sure. You mentioned it before. It's like sometimes overconfidence is super critical to everything we do. Like no small business would ever get started if somebody wasn't wildly over optimistic about how well they, how well they understood the marketplace, right? No explorer would have ever, um, traveled to seven seas to try to explore new continents right. if they knew of all the uncertainty there and like most of them die <laughs> this <laughs> is the duality of, of confidence yeah exactly so i th- there's positive aspects on the other hand th- it leads to terrible things yeah. sometimes um, a lot of the polarization and extremism we have in this country right now i think is driven by this illusion of understanding this sense that we all have it all figured out and therefore the other st- side is a bunch of idiots mm-hmm. um it's and, easy to fall into. I do it all the time. Absolutely. And think about also like, you know, things like financial crises and crashes. Uh, those things happen because individuals don't, everyone after the fact is like, oh my God, I was amazed that the traders didn't understand the Black-Scholes equation. And I was amazed that the uh, the the uh, the regulators had these things as AAA. It's like, it makes sense when you actually look individually at, at everybody who's a flawed sort of uh, 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 individual who doesn't know very much. Um, and where a lot of the work is being done sort of at this, this, uh, at this level of, of the community. Um, so, uh, so we're, de- I'm definitely not saying it's all bad and it's not all good. It's just kind of the way it is. Now, what, what can you do? I think like one thing is that it is actually sometimes good to go through life being a little bit better calibrated in terms of feeling like you are not having these super strong attitudes and positions about stuff that you don't really understand. Um, that I think if you do, you, you often fail to learn, um, and you can, uh, end up making like major mistakes. And so, um, I, I, um, try to stop myself all the time. Yeah. After doing this research, this research really changed my orientation towards the world. And maybe it's not been good for me because, you know, being overconfident is <laughs> benefits you in some ways. But I also think it's a pretty good way to live, you know? And yeah, like, you don't yeah. have to be embarrassed about not knowing everything and so on. And, uh, like, the, uh, I guess, like, one more thing I would say is that uh, when we're engaged in these debates about issues, like, we often debate in these very unproductive ways um, because of these assumptions and sometimes if we just took a step back and realized that the caricature of the other side is not correct, like most people are kind of reasonable, not everybody. And most people like are pretty well-intentioned, not everybody, but most people. Um, and all of us, none of us knows very much and understands very much. I think we could have like a better discourse, you know? I think we would find that we have a lot more in common than we typically, typically assume. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, think of the illusion of explanatory depth as a potential hurdle, but think of a hurdle as an opportunity to race to new heights potentially. But if you don't yeah. see it, you're going to trip over it, look like a fool, you're going to lose the race. That's good. And yeah. now to jump over that hurdle, if you accept that it might help to have a coach, might help to have watch others mm-hmm. doing it, it might help to like have better shoes and figure out someone that's figured that out and right. and uh, you know may, maybe even a physicist that understands running better is informing this right and uh and and then once you know that then if you understand that there is a uh propensity to fall onto a side which I'm, I'm skeptical that there's only two sides uh i think that that's probably incorrect but but it makes things easy to think about mm-hmm. uh it's like yin and yang kind of an idea seems to resonate with people and um 
Uh, but so you're going, if you can like, if you're trying to pull out and, and this is like what you call the observer, people tell you, you know, Buddhists go on and on, but you know, then meditation mm-hmm. and whatnot, you're, you're pulling out. Now you're observing mm-hmm. these two sides. You're becoming what would be called an independent mm-hmm. or you're fancying yourself in mm-hmm. independent. You may not be as impartial as you think. And you're looking, but then there's also like, if you're looking and you're like, ah, this one's like, uh, now I see this one side is like uh, is going way overboard or something mm-hmm. like that. There's this, there's not this balance. I'm gonna jump over here quick and and be involved and then, uh, but then you guys still have to jump out. So so you need to take action and then you need to still like pull out and examinate, uh, examine examinate <laughs> the examinator. Um, <laughs> you need to uh, pull out and, and examine the. Uh, uh, both sides, but also yeah, what your influence. So I'm definitely was. not saying like everybody's right, right and there's no truth. Like that's not the point at all. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's it's just that as individuals, we're not really in position to adjudicate the truth a lot of the time. And if we had a little more awareness of that, we'd be better calibrated, yeah. um, and we'd probably be better at figuring out the places where we where our community's gotten it wrong. Right. If we're so sure all the time, then, then we just don't learn and we don't see. And it's very hard to get outside of your own your own community, outside of your own bubble. Yeah. So I'm. I'm yeah. One one way that people can interpret this, which I think is wrong, is 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 like you know equivalence, and, and people get annoyed uh, with me sometimes and and say like, well, you know, you're, you're not being fair. Like the other side is is like, you know, is really like you know anti science and wrong and all this kind of stuff. And so, and some of that might be true, but it's sort of um, beside the point that we want to make, which is that we all are ignorant. It's just the way it is, and our Positions are not our own. They depend on our community and, and so on. And so I think when you see it through that lens, it, it sort of makes a lot of things make a lot more sense in terms of a lot of things just seem really weird and the explanations just are not satisfying. Like, you know, half the country is a bunch of idiots yeah. when the data show actually that there aren't significant differences in terms of, well, I mean, there, there, you know, there's, there's mixed data, but you know, the the extent to which there's individual differences that explain anything about partisanship, uh, very small effects, very small differences. So, um, I think that those kind of explanations are kind of simplistic and not very. This is what what drove me to pursue this project is be, is that I see a lot of weird behavior that I want to explain, and the typical explanations that people jump to are just not very satisfying. They don't work. They don't make sense to me. Yeah, but so a lot of this is projecting. So, like you say. They're, look that person's an an idiot they don't know anything and then you go oh wait that's me like i don't know anything yeah. and then they're like oh that's frustrating i don't understand no way i'm frustrated because i don't understand yeah. and then we project this onto it's it's really weird <laughs> it's, a, it's a weird existence we find ourselves in it's very weird when you when you stop well when you stop and think about it don't think too hard because yeah yeah there's a lot of, <laughs> lot of yeah yeah thinking is weird People are weird. Everything's weird. But, you <laughs> yeah, know, we're just, you know, these, uh, sometimes, this maybe. one gigabyte, we're these one gigabyte creatures rolling around trying to just make it in this extremely complicated, complex world. And uh, so we're doing a pretty good job, really, depending on how you look at it. That's but the thing. Forgive yourself. That's the thing. I think we totally should. I mean, we should just be more realistic about what we're here for and what we're, how it's supposed to be. And value, and we probably come to value the right things, you know. 
stay calm and carry on, as there they you go. say. Um, uh, all right. Uh, uh, Philip Fernback, everybody, thank you for joining me. Uh, listeners, please get his new book, The Knowledge Illusion. Were you confused by what we said? Did some of it resonate? I hope both <laughs> things happened. I hope you're confused. I hope that things resonated. And then I hope that some things were like, you're like, oh, those guys have no idea what they're talking about. Now one particular thing. And then another thing you went, oh, I never thought of that before. That's a perfect idea. And you got a little bit of everything. All right. Fantastic episode. Thank you for joining me. My pleasure. All right, everybody. Each week... I have the guest plug a nonprofit of their choice, fitting the theme of the episode, adding another layer. Philip decided that he would look and use Google, use his computer, determine what his interests were, and then bounce it off you guys out there. What? So you're somehow determining. <laughs> <laughs> you right now, without even realizing it, are somehow determining this nonprofit this advocacy group that uh you don't even realize that you're advocating for are you are you curious think about what it is what what are they advocating for right now philip they are advocating for the planetary society i am a huge space nerd i love space science and the planetary society is the nonprofit in that area so please give money to the planetary society so that we can Go explore Europa and find some um, creatures living on the, under the ice over there. Yeah, yeah. Everyone at home just interstellared <laughs> into a black hole and into the future. And then the information came back through you to them as to what to donate. It's a closed time loop <laughs> paradox. <laughs> All right. Thanks again. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed it. Was it a little confusing? Was it a little muddled? Was it a little more nuanced than normal? A little all over the place? Just uh, maybe a little bit crazier than the normal podcast. There's going to be two more like that. So tune in next week. We're going to be talking about emotions and reframing. And uh, I think you are very much going to enjoy it. These three should be kind of building on each other. And so get into it. And what else? Oh, yeah. Laughable. Uh, check out Laughable, all the support that they've given the podcast. They're a fantastic app for all of your comedy podcast needs. And you can support me on Patreon um, once again and add some fuel to this ship. If you like, if you want to see what warp speed feels like, um, but that's uh, completely your choice. So, oh, geez, see, look, all this trippy episode, and it's messing with my head as well. And I'm forgetting to say the most important thing. Those of you that listen all of the way to the end, you are, of course, my favorite.
Hello, I'm Dave Ross. Hey, and I'm Hampton Yunt. And we host Suicide Buddies on Starburns Audio. That's right. It's a podcast about suicide, but not to make light of it. We actually talk about suicidal thoughts, depression, kind of with a sense of levity that Dave and I have with each other. He's my best friend. Come on. Yeah, we're buddies. <laughs> suicide Buddies. <laughs> That's the title. One of our favorite episodes that we've recorded so far is about this guy, Jan Pataki, who was a Polish aristocrat in the 19th century. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, one of the reasons it's possible that he killed himself <laughs> is that he thought he was a werewolf. Oh. Check out a clip. It also makes me think, like, we were talking about in the Norway uh, black metal episode, how, like, just the culture of your surroundings can affect you. Like, yeah. he's in a castle in Poland. <laughs> He's like, I mean, if you yeah. lived in a castle in Poland and no one knew anything about anything, you might be like, I'm a bat. I'm probably a bat. <laughs> <laughs> That's like literally what happened to Batman. He literally is in his mansion. He's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm, I'm a, a bat. bat. I'm a bat. I'm a <laughs> bat. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bat. bat that helps people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bat that helps people. I'm a, I'm a I don't know what you want from me. And my, uh, and my, my girlfriend, she's a cat. She's a cat. My she, girlfriend's she, a cat. She steals things. She's a woman who steals things. She's a cat. I'm a bat. I'm a I bat. Help people. She's a cat. We fight a penguin. My, uh, my 